You know how if somebody scratches your back, you scratch theirs back. A couple years ago at my ordination service, Pastor Smith came down, I guess it is, down and over to be there for that and to be one of the examiners, uh, and he was very kind. It was friendly. Lino came with him then, and uh, they were very nice to me and kind. Not, I can't say that was true for everybody there that day, so that's why... <laughs> I'm here with you and not at other churches. <laughs> so very much on the same team in our theology and, and in the, the grace with which he asked the questions that day meant a lot to me. In fact, one question he asked there is still going on. Uh, I have settled on the issue, but some folks around me haven't. So we're that ongoing eternal question, um, it's an earned righteousness. Righteousness question. So I have handouts. Uh, so I will be uh, in the Sunday school hour. This is going to be less preaching and a little more teaching. I actually hope to get a discussion going. Uh, that's our Sunday school hour is usually like that. It's usually us teaching. So I have handouts. If somebody would help me with those, there should be around forty. There, you have a, another helper coming up here. And as you get those handouts, there are places for you to write if you want to write, and you don't have to. I actually, I, I'm looking at the clock right now and paying close attention to it. And you, you, everybody in here knows what that means when a Baptist preacher looks at a clock. Nothing, right? It, it means absolutely nothing. It, it hopefully means he could tell time, but it has nothing to do with the length of the service. Let's open with prayer and we'll uh, go to the Word together. Father, we are grateful for your mercy to us. I think of the vehicle that we saw overturned on the freeway this morning and ask you to be with the family and those uh, folks involved in that and that you would uh, be merciful to them. And we thank you because of that and in light of that for the mercy that uh, you gave us to get here this morning. Father, we thank you um, for Bible-believing churches. We thank you that all over this world this morning people are gathered in your name feasting on your word, and we would ask that this would be such a a feast this morning, that we would be faithful to it, that we would not uh, trail off into error in our own opinions, but that we would learn from you and from what you've said, specifically with our uh, discussion on how to be disqualified for the work of the ministry and qualified. Help us with that. Be with us the rest of the morning. Be glorified by our service and our worship, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So, this lesson comes from, uh, it's one of those labor of love things. Um, We're going to be looking at Titus chapter 1, and also uh, one of Timothy's letters. And when we do, I want to say up front, so that you know I'm not, um, I don't want to be accused of allegorizing or spiritualizing the text of scripture. I know that we're going to be in pastoral epistles. I know that these are primarily concerned with qualifications for pastors and elders, and I understand that. So, As you will be looking at the words and we're talking about the characteristics from these two texts this morning, I don't want you to think that I missed something, that that my seminary failed me or something. I do understand that in Titus and Timothy we're talking about pastors. Uh, But I don't think anybody in the room would think that we are free to violate the principles that pastors are called to obey and adhere to. So like, for example, one of the uh, pastoral qualifications is not to be a striker. Um, does that mean everybody else in the church is allowed to punch people when they disagree over something? No, that's a principle that we, we are all supposed to be uh, nonviolent uh, folks. So these are principles. And what we're going to ask this morning, uh, and you are asking of you and your church, 
is, is it possible, based on these two lists we're going to see, one list that is a disqualification for the work of the ministry, and one list that is a qualification for the work of the ministry, you're asking you, before we start, how am I doing? How's our church doing? I think it's very important that you do that. And normally the the teacher asks the questions after he's taught. But I want you to be thinking about your answers before as we're going through these. So if you will turn to Titus chapter 1 or it's printed on your paper if you're uh, lazy. Maybe that's not lazy. You You can just look at the paper. We're asking the question, does God have standards? And I want you to notice, look to, look to the last verse on the paper. I have it highlighted for you, I think. Verse 16 of Titus chapter 1. That last little phrase, unto every good work. Does everybody see it? That's the King James or uh, to or toward. Uh, the Greek is prospon ergon agathon, to every work that's beautiful or good. Now flip over to the other side of your paper. I think it's on the other side. It should be. Is it, on, is it directly on the other side, the Second Timothy passage? Yeah, chapter 3. And look at the last line there in verse 17. Unto all good works. Well, in the original Greek, they're exactly the same in both passages. Paul uses exactly the same phrase in both passages. In either case, it is for every good work, or toward every good work, or unto every good work. Now the question is, are we qualified or furnished or prepared for every good work or disqualified reprobate as the king james what a great word that that word is a perfect word disqualified worthless for every good work so we look at titus first titus chapter one and what i'm going to do now is i'm going to just go through each word each disqualifier each thing that would make you reprobate under any good work and what you're going to do is take a note or two and maybe take a note or a, or a comment, make a comment that might add to the discussion when I ask you, what can we do to avoid that quality or characteristic? And be ready uh, to discuss if you would. So the very first thing, let's just read Titus chapter 1 verses 10 through 16. For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers, especially they of the circumcision, whose mouths must be stopped, who subvert whole households, houses, teaching things which they ought not for filthy lucre's sake. One of themselves, even a prophet of their own, said, the Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. Paul probably couldn't find a pulpit if he lived in our day talking like that. This witness is true, wherefore rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. I will not discuss that purpose clause this morning, but I want you to see it anyway. The goal of the rebuke is that they would be corrected. Don't miss that. That when we're talking about looking for things that disqualify us or someone else for the ministry, it's not so that we can smash them, so that we can win them, that they would be sound in the faith. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men that turn from the truth. Verse 15, unto the pure all things are pure, but unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure, but even their mind and conscience is defiled. And verse 16, they profess that they know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable and disobedient. And here's our phrase, unto every good work reprobate. So we're going to handle these disqualifiers, these things that would make you disqualified one at a time. The first one you see there in verse 10 is unruly or insubordinate. And the simple understanding of that phrase is lacking submission. 
You know that Peter says that we are to submit ourselves one to another. This is not only for pastors, as we see in Hebrews and other places, the the idea of submission to a leader. The idea of submission is Christian. Christ was submissive. He submitted to his father. So somebody that lacks submission is an unruly or an insubordinate person, and that would disqualify them for the work of the ministry. Now you could say, of course that disqualifies people in the ministry, but we don't usually think of a pastor as needing to be submissive, do we? Yet that is the disqualifier of these men that would disqualify them for the work of the ministry. The second one is pretty funny, actually, uh, is vain or idle talkers. They talk all the time and never say anything. Um, I recently was walking by a room in my house, and I heard my son by himself talking in the room. I wondered who he was talking to, but he was just talking, just jabbering in there, having fun by himself. How meaningful was that conversation if he was in there by himself? I would like to think it was prayer, but it was more likely just him goofing around in there. These vain talkers are talking all the time, but the words have nothing in them. They're empty. It would be hot air, something like that. So they talk, lots of talking going on, nothing coming out. It's vanity. It's emptiness. It's babbling. It's unhelpful. It's unedifying. Uh, they're the kind of people that if you were to say, say less with more, they would not understand that. Because they say a lot less with more. They say nothing. The third thing you see is that they are deceivers. An interesting word here. This word, uh, the origins of this word is where you would get frenetic or frenzied. So the idea of their deception is that it would work somebody up. It would be, it would be lying to get a reaction, lying to cause trouble. So it's not just falsifying information. It's not just saying things that are not necessarily true. It's saying things that aren't true with a motive of deception. I want you to be fooled. I want you to be tricked. And maybe I could work you up. And um, So you're asking the question, what, how would that disqualify one for the ministry? You ask the question, what would, what would happen in, in our church if someone across the aisle was lying about me and the lies they were purporting were for the purpose of doing damage to me. Not just lies. Not just to make themselves look good, but for the purpose of hurting. And then you have that line of the uh, circumcision in the text. And of course, we know that doesn't mean uh, the race of the Jews. It means the legalistic, ceremonial, Judea- Judaizing type uh, uh, thing of, that the Judaizers were so guilty of that Paul warns of in Galatians. This idea of legalism, the idea of putting law before grace and, and elevating law to the point of saying if you, if, you, if you don't put the law where it belongs, you can't possibly be a, a Christian. Legalism. Um, making lists, asceticism, those kind of things. But this is a warning against uh, the circumcision party. The next one in verse 11 and so on is that they have big mouths. They have big mouths. That's what it literally says. And those big mouths need to be shut Now think of somebody who talks all the time and never says anything. They're deceivers by nature, trying to deceive for the purpose of hurting people. They're already now in the text legalistic. I think it makes sense that these people need to be quiet. I know there's some kids in the room. You usually try to tell your kids not to say, shut up. But there are people within the walls of the church that sometimes need to be told to shut up. (laughs) Hopefully it's not me yet. Give me some time. The next one is very interesting. This next one, having come from a difficult church experience in my past, um, uh, the church that we're a part of now actually came from a, a difficult, basically a church split. 
This next word, subversive, really hits home and rings with me. And this, the, the, the original idea here is that households can be broken up. This is, the people that do this and have this terrible characteristic are so good at their evil that they can actually pit family against each other to get fam- people within a home to take sides in a church battle to where mom and daughter and dad and son are fighting with each other in the walls of the church. Now, you have to be really good to be able to do that. I mean, I, even my dad is not a church-going guy, but it would, you would have to be really good to be a member of my church and try to convince my dad that he shouldn't listen to me, his son. That's how good these evil workers that are disqualified or reprobate for the ministry are, is they can break apart households. Now, of course, this probably in context has to do with house churches. That was the early church's uh, characteristic church. But I, I do believe it has to do with households. And then they are, it's false teaching for lucre's sake, for the sake of dishonest gain. Um, you, you read about these guys in Paul's terrible fights all the time. They, in fact, they were so good at it in Paul's day in 2 Corinthians that they had actually convinced the Corinthian church that Paul wasn't any good because he wasn't taking money. <laughs> I mean, that's good. If you're, if you're a deceiver, these guys work some masterful works of evil art. You know, you shouldn't listen to Paul because he didn't take money from you. And Paul was saying, I didn't take money from you because I wanted to show you I wasn't money motivated, you know. Maybe you would like it if I smacked you in the face, the way Paul talks to those Corinthians. So these guys teach their falsehoods for the sake of gain. This is hard to understand why this would ever be in a church, but it is. People saying what they want, people talking without saying anything, dishonest, for selfish gain. And most people are talking for selfish gain usually, but... Anyhow, we're going to skip the uh, verses 12 and 13 and the quote by the famous Epimenides there because I'm not sure I understand it. Um, so if you have good understanding, you can shoot me an email and explain that to me. But for the sake of our discussion this morning, we'll move on to fable followers, people who follow myths. Any words these days about books and, uh, and authors that are supposed to be prophets and having special insight? It's amazing to me how people will follow the in-between-the-lines-of-scripture. They love what's in the white, but miss what's actually ink. What isn't there? The, the secrets behind the text. I've got to get down to these deep myths about angels and, and things that we can figure out that other people can't. They're fable followers. They would, they would see the Bible as spiritual and something that you can manipulate and, and warp and twist and use however you want. And, and they're mystical in their interpreting of scripture. And then they are commandment of men keepers. I know I just made up a noun, but you just have to deal with me. People who follow the commandments of men. It's not enough that God already has the number of, what, 613 Old Testament laws, and then they add all their other uh, do's and don'ts. These guys make laws for themselves. And you know that, don't you, that we don't follow our own laws. I mean, how many of you have started the year by saying you're going to lose weight? And then that commandment goes out the window, the first sign of, you know, ice cream or whatever. So we don't even follow our own commandments. I find it ridiculous that it's difficult enough to live in the world we live in, and then we make our own laws and then don't follow them. And so this is a characteristic of people who are disqualified for the ministry, who should not be in the ministry of the Christian church. They make up their own rules. They don't get their ideas out of Scripture. They follow the traditions of men. And nullify the word of God. They turn from the truth. The idea here of turning from the truth is not just to have truth at your back. They literally run from truth. 
And that means when you try to help them with truth, maybe with a gentle nudge or rebuke, where you bring the scripture to bear in their life, they run from it. And you have to be careful for this. I'll give you an application here. If, you, if you're ever in a discussion with a fellow believer and they have a Bible open, be very, very slow to dismiss what they're saying. They could be completely wrong. But if a Bible's open and they're telling you, look what John says, look what Paul says, be slow to dismiss what they're saying. It's very fearful when I've, I've had a person one time who was going into business with someone who I thought they shouldn't have, and, and I believe it was an unequally yoking situation, and I warned them, you should not be doing that. And I had a Bible open, and they were ignoring the Bible. It was a frightful thing. So be careful for people who turn from the truth and put the truth at their back. Uh, it goes on in verse 15 to call these an unbelieving group of people. Uh, they, they are no faiths. That's the literal rendering. No faiths. They have no faith. Like an atheist, this is an uh, faithiest. They have no faith. So they're, they're unbelieving. They're defiled in mind and conscience. Uh, this, they have a seared conscience. That word uh, can be carterized whenever you see the word seared in the Bible. They, they have ignored the truth, and they've gone from the truth with the truth behind them to now abusing the truth, to now using it, manipulating it, twisting it for their own devices. Then it says they are professors only. This is the same word as confession. They profess to know God, and that word for know God is a very important word. They claim to know him, to perceive him, to understand him. You're going to see in a second on the qualifying list uh, that, that God's people know scripture. These people do not know God. So there is a knowledge issue here, and they claim to know him. These are the kind of, Lord, Lord, did we not do many things, people? We, we know the Lord. I mean, obviously, I've been going to church my whole life. If I walk through the doors of a church for 20 years, I must know the Lord. But that's not faith. Faith is faith. <laughs> it's trust and confidence in the Lord. They, deny, they claim to know him, but they deny him. They are abominable. That is a difficult word. Detestable. That word you see over and over again in the Bible relating to idolatry, false gods, false worship. They're abominable, detestable, repulsive. God would spit them out of his mouth, these kind of people. Obviously, they're disqualified for any work if that's the kind of people they are. They are disobedient. That's an interesting phrase here, disobedient. Uh, There's a word that we modern uh, English speakers don't use, but have you heard the word contumacy in a while? You need to throw that one around a little bit. We need to bring that one back. They are contumacious. That means they are not upright, non-compliant. They will not bend. This all fits. Think about these people. They're liars. They're self-serving. They've put the truth behind them. They abuse the truth. They say they know God, but they have no faith. Of course they won't bend. Maybe you've never heard the phrase, but it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. These know-it-alls will not be taught. And then the last phrase, they are reprobate for any good work. With relation to the works of God, these people absolutely do not qualify. So go look through that list and ask, how am I doing? How do I handle correction from Scripture? How am I doing? How, how do I handle, uh, if, if, if maybe I really love the latest so-called Christian book that's on the shelves that's taking the world by storm and everybody says it's really great for their faith, but I know the pastor keeps telling me it's got heresy in it, but I don't need to listen to him. I know for myself. So you... Ask yourself how you're doing in each of those areas. How's your church doing in each of those areas? There are study questions there. Um, for the sake of time, I'll hold, we'll do the questions at the end. So let's move on to now what actually 
furnishes you or qualifies you for every good work. Turn to 2 Timothy and we'll look at his list. Same Paul, but 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 14. You know this passage well, but it's usually only quoted in terms of inspiration, the doctrine of inspiration. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, and then there's our phrase, unto all or every good work, all good works. So you've seen what disqualifies person characteristically from the ministry. Now let's look at the qualifications. Now I'm going again I told you I know that this is pastoral. Paul starts this list by talking directly to the guy Timothy, okay? He's telling Timothy, you Timothy continue. But I would say that Timothy was probably a good guy that we could learn from, and so I'm going to use Timothy as one of our examples, not just what happens after the inspiration passage. So I'm starting with Timothy Timothy and saying that the first characteristic or thing that would qualify you for the ministry is to continue in learning. Be like Timothy and continue in the things that you learn. Don't learn them and then ignore them. You will hear salespeople say, I have 20 years sales experience. But really what they have is one year, 20 times. That's very much like many Christians. I've been a Christian for 20 years. I was discipled and learned that first couple of years, but then I haven't learned anything since. I've just repeated that couple of years and my favorite little three doctrines and my favorite three passages and my, my little uh, Christian calendar on my, my desk there. And I haven't really learned. I haven't really studied. I've just done the same thing I did the first year 20 times. That's not continuing. To continue means to grow and to devour the word and to study and to, and to be busy learning and to intake the food of the word of God. So, Timothy was a person who continued in the word, continued in the instruction of his, of his family. And, and obviously, they knew, he knew the scriptures. And then Timothy uh, was told to acknowledge the source of truth, knowing from who you learned them. It's not enough to just learn. You can read a lot of books, but Timothy had learned from God. He had learned the word of God, and, and he is supposed to acknowledge that as the source of truth. God is the source of truth. Not the latest guy on the radio. Not the, the most famous book at the Christian bookstore. Not the, the, the best podcast you can get a hold of. And then he also remembered the lessons of his youth. This is related to, uh, to being a pedagogue, to, to learning as a child. To be, in a sense, force-fed as a child, but to enjoy the feeding. <laughs> Um, sometimes the baby doesn't want to eat, right? And you still feed that baby. You don't say, well, since the baby is rejecting the baby food, we will stop. You make that baby eat. But eventually the baby understands, if I don't eat, I'm not going to make it. This is Timothy with the word of God as a child. His mother and grandmother had taught him, and he continued in it, continuously learning, continuously growing, remembering those lessons. And then it says, and that from a child... Thou hast known the Holy Scriptures. That is the source of truth. The Word of God is the source of truth that Timothy continued in from God. And they were able to make him wise to salvation. Now, I believe strongly in the doctrines of grace. 
strongly in the work of God in the lives of people to save them, to bring them to himself. But that doesn't mean that we do not bear responsibility. So that's very easy here to see the both in action with Timothy, who was wise, the scriptures made him wise, but he put faith in Jesus Christ. So you don't, they're not divorced, they're married. And this is a great example that the scriptures made him wise unto salvation, but he was smart enough to acknowledge it <laughs> after the Lord opened his eyes. And he puts faith in Christ, and you see that there. Now think about somebody who is not continu- continuing in scripture, not wise to salvation, not having faith in Jesus Christ. Should that person be in the ministry? No, he actually sounds a lot like the person that Paul mentions in Titus. That person had no faith. That person claimed to know God, but didn't. Here it is said with the same wording that Timothy knew Scripture. And then, of course, you have the famous section on inspiration. And we're not going to talk about the doctrine of inspiration. We're going to move past it into verse 16. Because we're, we're asking about our qualification for ministry, the qualification of our church. How is our church doing in these areas? And before I move on, I, uh, one time I was doing some marriage counseling for someone, uh, pre-marriage counseling. And uh, I had them, <laughs> this is so funny to me, every time I think of it, it's hilarious. I had them both write a paper on forgiveness. Now, I've been married almost 18 years, so I know that that's an important subject in marriage, right? So I told uh, Tim, you write your paper on forgiveness, learn the subject, read the things I've asked you to read, and give me a paper on forgiveness, that we'll get, I want that at the end. And Katie, you write yours, and at the end, I want that paper on forgiveness, and what was great about both of them, it wasn't great, it was a great teaching time, but in neither of them did they ever talk about any potential for themselves in the future to need forgiveness. Well, I need to forgive her because she's going to obviously, you know, and he'll, I know when he messes up, I'm going to have to work real hard to forgive him, and I need to, I need to be like the Lord and forgive. But neither of them ever said, I will have to ask for forgiveness in the future. <laughs> so when you read these next verses, and you read about doctrine and reproof, and about being thoroughly equipped for every good work, please don't look at the person across the aisle, okay? The, the person in your seat is who we're talking to. So now let's move on to verse 16, that the qualified person is doctrinal. Doctrinal. Every Christian is a theologian. It's just that some aren't very good ones. Every person should be studying the scripture and be doctrinal. What does the Bible teach? What are the great themes and doctrines of the Bible that I should be listening to? There is more in the Bible than just the gospel of Christ. The gospel is a very full gospel. There's a big story in the gospel. So, doctrinal. If, if you're going to be God's kind of person, a lot of people say, well, I just like a childlike faith. That's all I need is to be childlike. What you're really saying is you want to be childish. You don't want to grow up to maturity. So, be doctrinal. Learn. And, and you say, well, I'm not smart. I didn't go to school. I don't, I don't have the aptitude of, of Pastor Smith. I can't, I'm unable to do that. Study what you can. Study as much as you can. Take in what you can. The the Lord will feed you what you're able to to digest. Just be in his word. And then the next thing is this reproof or testing. It, it, It means to be convicted by scripture. If you've gone a long time without conviction, there might be a problem. Because the qualified people, ready, furnished for every good work by the scripture, are convicted. The Bible does its surgical work of Hebrews chapter 4. It cuts you apart. And exposes the things that need to be worked on. So tested and 
convicted by the scripture. And then the next one is response to correction, which is interesting because you remember the other person wouldn't listen. He would turn from the truth. He was unruly, unsubmissive, contumacious. (laughs) And this one is the opposite of that. This one is rectified by the truth, set upright. If I'm leaning and falling and my brother comes along with, and brings the scripture to me or I hear the preaching and it's, it's touching me in the sensitive nerve in my heart instead of me falling back or going into anger or dismay, no, 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 the scripture just helped me, the Lord helped me through that and rectified me, set me back up straight so that I'm solid again. And then the a furnished person is instructed in righteousness. This is similar to the, to the word that Timothy is called as a, as a child, learning from a child. This has the idea of, again, of learning like a child, of taking the food, of, of being taught like a, held by the hand and walked along into righteousness. Happy to go. You're holding the hand of, of the Lord and, and his church and his people, and he says, go this way is where righteousness is. And you say, if I go that way, I might have to lose something on the way. But that's where I want to go. If that's where righteousness is, if that's where Christ-likeness is, I'm going. The person who's qualified for the work of the ministry is a person who is happy to go along and be instructed in righteousness. And uh, this next word, uh, in in case people were accusing the Bible of being uh, inequitable to any gender, is the word for mankind. So, So, ladies, if you thought you were off the hook, you're not. When it says that the man of God would be thoroughly furnished, it means the person of God. Uh, it does mean the man in the, the contextual sense to Timothy and all of that, but it's everyone can be qualified in that way by submitting to Scripture, by being doctrinal, by being reproved and then convicted of their sin, rectified these things. And then this word perfect or complete. Did you know that God's standard is perfection? Everybody knows that. And he doesn't lower that standard when we don't feel so good. So what is it that would make us perfect if God requires that? Does he equip us with that? That's exactly what the text is saying. God requires this perfection and he gives you every tool necessary to reach it. In the word of God and the preaching and the doctrinal and all of those things that we've said. That makes you perfect and complete. Thoroughly furnished it says. Thoroughly. By the way, the ESV Bible really misses the boat here um, uh, on this particular word. Really misses it. It, This idea is it's not just you're doing okay for the work of the ministry. It's a strong emphasis of thoroughly equipped. You have everything you need to do what God has called you to do. So compare the two lists. Somebody that's thoroughly reprobate, absolutely worthless to any good work, and you saw the list of their characteristics now compared to the list of people who are qualified for every good work. And you're asking yourself the question, how am I doing? How's our church doing? How's my family doing? How am I doing as a husband? How am I doing as a mother? Am I qualified? Do I, am, I, am I seeing myself as a, an equipped person? Have I been lazy in any area? Have I avoided the truth of an area, not wanting to hear it? Have I, have I, uh, have I been unteachable? Have I been crooked for a long time, maybe harboring sin or something, and won't be rectified by the scripture? So now how are you doing? We've got a few minutes left. Tell me some areas uh, or ways a church can fail in the first list and be guilty of those disqualifiers. Talk to me. Where, where do we see these kind of things? Uh, people who are unruly or vain talkers, deceivers. Where do you see these kind of things? Hopefully not in your church, but where, where would these creep up? Just, I'm, I'm asking and you're talking. <laughs> 
I'm not a Pentecostal, so I'm not expecting like a full, you know, experience here. But answer the question. Where, where, give me an example for, uh, how about, have we heard in recent years of anybody doing some serious, seriously bad things with end times? I didn't mention names. You all act like you know who I'm talking about. Is that fable following? Is that handling the scripture properly? Is that being teachable to the word and bendable to what God has said in his word? How about any books lately that people have written that obviously miss the fundamental teachings of scriptures? Anybody want to name names so I don't have to? Go ahead. Your best life now. Did I say that out loud? What what does the Bible say about various trials and temptations? Through many tribulations, the book of Acts says you have to enter the kingdom, right? So somehow, somebody found a road that misses that. Um, How about... um, How about straight-out false teaching? Now, surely the holy people in the room never watch television, but if you accidentally are at a house where there's a television on... And somebody's flipping channels. Is there anything on TV that, that would be mystical or magical or obviously unbiblical? You don't have to name names there either. In fact, I would be, it'd feel better if you didn't know their names. Um, how about people who... Let's get a little more personal. How about people who have made a good show? Who have been to church, who have been active even, who have been regular, what we might even use the the word faithful, and then clearly walk away from the Lord. Um, Our church uh, believes in church discipline, and we've had to discipline more people than I care to admit. People that, folks, if I'm honest with you, we're talking my closest friends. People who I trusted with my spiritual walk. People who I was asking to pray for me. And they have denied the Lord. Now they were professing. They professed to know God. They had a good confession. But in their lives they denied him. How about uh, people who... People who tell you they're your friend. People that you thought you could trust. People that you counted on. Only to find out later they were saying different things behind your back. These are the kind of people that are deceivers and work people up. Now how about the the positive side in our last one minute? How are you doing on the other areas? How's your Bible study been? How are your doctrinal trips into the scripture? Are you building your own systematic theology? Are you building your own library? How, how big is your Bible? Do you know what I mean by that? How big is your Bible? The, the Bible, I mean, that's up here. Hopefully not the one that stays in the trunk on Sundays. I'm talking about you're, you're getting the theology. The doctrine is going in and it's staying in. And it's real-life theology where you're learning about the nature of Christ and the nature of God and, and how that fits into the big plan and the big scheme of things. We have uh, two or three people in our church battling cancer someone is just a good friend of mine just lost that battle and those doctrines of the sovereignty of god that i've spent all those years studying and learning come into play where i remember those truths 
So my Bible is getting thicker and thicker up here. It's not just, I don't just leave it in the page. When I hear it preached, when I'm in my devotions, when I'm praying, it's going in and it's staying in. I'm doctrinal like Timothy is, and like we are told to be that the scripture equips us for, continuing in knowledge. How are you with reproof? How are you when you're tested? Um, I had a, a, I've been wrong once or twice, they tell me, and I had, I had something happen just a few weeks ago. I'll tell you what it is, too. I'm not afraid to say it. Um, I had this idea of repentance and faith in my mind, because those are doctrines that are very closely related to the doctrines of grace, you know, and those are important ones to us. In my mind, I had this clear line drawn of repentance from and faith toward. I'd been saying it for years. Repentance is from sin and it's faith toward God. And that sounds really good because that is the way it appears in Scripture most of the time. But then I'm there in the book of Acts and I find this repentance toward God. And so I have to adjust my theology. I can't say, well, no, that doesn't fit my preconceived notions. I've got to work to make sure I fit the Bible's theology, not that the Bible fits mine. How are you with that? How are you when you run into those texts and those sermons and those lessons that challenge you? Hopefully you're not too far in either direction. There's an error both ways. That you, flavor of the month, you know, you change every week. Oh, I heard this guy on the radio, so now I'm what he is. And, oh, this week I'm back with pastor, you know. <laughs> that you're getting solid in your theology. So look at those two lists. Ask yourself how you're doing. Maybe at your next fellowship you discuss those things. Um, I've done that before, too, in a group where we, with the same lesson, had people at tables and had them discuss at their tables. And I heard a lot of those names come up at that discussion. <laughs> that I'm avoiding here. Let's pray and then we'll dismiss. Father, it's our desire to be faithful to your word and it's our desire to be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. And Father, sometimes we spend so much time in the furnishing that we don't actually do the work. Help us be busy in your work and equip us for your work and keep us from the errors that we saw in the book of Titus. Bless the work that happens in the true churches all over and the people that would be faithful and change lives and and get a hold of people and and show them your marvelous grace and give them that excitement of working in the in the ministry and being equipped for it and we'll thank you for that in Jesus name amen